Welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about world in catastrophe kill zone experiment department so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Maze Runner by James Dashner. Joining us to discuss this piece of clunk YA novel is Rachel, a performer at Union Comedy, a teacher at Improv Boston, a producer of the Twitch channel 2MB Studios, who also has a Patreon for her comic strips called Smiling Women Comics with an X. Hi, Rachel. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Sorry you had to read this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can honestly say this is the most work I've ever done for a podcast. Uh, so um, I'm just really excited to... I, I feel very accomplished, like the way like Hercules probably felt when he cleaned out all those stalls. Yes. <laughs> yes like a like a real good slopper something like that there's too much too many I've, made up words in this book and they're not even good made up words yes oh my gosh yeah that's that's the trick of being on worst bestsellers is when we ask people they're like "Ooh, fun be on a podcast and i'm like yeah and now just um you do have to read this and they're like oh no <laughs> it is a podcast that comes with homework yeah i was just like i think part of it was that i was like oh young adult novels that must mean it's shorter but this is this was a 10 hour long audiobook like i could have read a real book in 10 hours (laughs) in my mind it was like oh young adult novels are short books but that's not true (laughs) sadly not anymore and also, to be fair, regularly, like, we're listening to, like, 18, 20-hour books, well, reading 18 or 20-hour books on this show, which is terrible for me. <laughs> for me, they're, like, you know, eight-hour books, but this one was only five. Thank you to whoever gave me that trick of using Libby instead of Overdrive to speed up the... the to make the audiobook go even faster make than 2x. To even faster than 2x. <laughs> When they posted that, I was just like, I'm worried about you guys. This, <laughs> Like, I, the other day, I accidentally turned a podcast up to, like, 1.15, like, the lowest speed of above one. And I was just like, oh, what's happening? Everyone sounds so, like, concerned. <laughs> so, in our defense, mine and all of the folks who pointed that out to us on the Discord, when people read audiobooks, they do do it more slowly than people talk on podcasts. I do listen to podcasts on 1x, but audiobooks, they just speak so slowly. And sometimes the books are just so bad that you want it to go by as fast as possible. So, you know, occasionally 2.5x, here I come. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm skimming with my eyes, so (laughs) it just just seems stressful. In a way, uh, this book was like our maze. We're just, like, running through it as fast as we can. Uh, (laughs) We're not attacked by, like, a terrible piece of prose on the way. (laughs) Yeah, and every day it changes a little bit, but not significantly. Not enough to justify being 62 chapters long. (laughs) yeah so this book maze runner has been like on our frequently requested list for like i don't know seven years now and we're finally getting around to it partly i think because i know uh, i don't even own a television already did a very funny episode about this and partly just because we didn't want to 
Yeah, it's so many. There's so many bad YA dystopias that like we've done a bunch already. Why do we have to keep doing them? And the answer is because someone has to, I guess. Someone has to. And this one really, once I got into it, it really did have a lot of like really juicy nuggets to discuss of just like truly bananas wild uh, but also completely inane things it was i would say and you said something similar to this before we started i apologize to everyone in advance i am sick recording this so if my voice goes in and out that is why i am powering through it for you our our beloved (laughs) listeners it's because you just finished running miles in the maze and then you sat down to the podcast you're like (laughs) (laughs) but you said before we recorded that like it reminded you why we do this podcast (laughs) and i i do feel like it is that type of book that is so bad that as you're reading it all you want to do is tell everyone how insanely hilariously bad it is yes and professionally i feel glad that i have finally read this actually and i like this book does still go out the whole series goes out but a big part of why is okay as a librarian i always say that i don't judge what anybody reads and you know whatever people check out i i support them on their reading journeys but truthfully there are like a few types of people that i do judge and one of those types of people is a parent. It's almost always a mom. Sorry, moms. But a mom comes in and says, like, my son hates reading. Will you help me find a book for him? And I'm like, yeah. And then I sort of tried to find out what her kid likes. And she doesn't really know what her kid likes. And then I suggest something. And then she says, oh, he won't read about girls. And I'm like, are you sure? Or, like, you don't think he'll read about girls? And then that mom always ends up with the fucking maze runner because it's by a boy (laughs) it's about a boy it's available on the shelf because nobody else wants it and (laughs) and now that i know truly how bad it is i'm just like oh no what like no wonder your son hates reading because if if he could tolerate reading about a girl he could read the hunger games which is infinity times better Everybody wants to read The Hunger Games. Nobody can do what The Hunger Games can. We've said it anytime we read a dystopia, we're just like, uh, it truly makes you appreciate Suzanne Collins' artistry because <laughs> no one else is doing it like she can. It's very true. And I'll say that I've never read The Hunger Games, but the context that I'm coming from reading this book is the last dystopian novel I read was Never Let Me Go. And the last book I read about a labyrinth was Piranesi, uh, which like are two towering, um, you know, masterpieces. So it was really fun to see a book uh, not be either of those two things. <laughs> yeah, you've lowered your brows significantly for this. <laughs> brows down by your nose for Maze Runner. Yeah, it was... It was a, and you know, it's sometimes it's nice to just have a book for this show that you can read very quickly. That as you're reading it, you don't. Sometimes we read books, and I'm like, I'm so broken by (laughs) fucking seven years of doing this or whatever that I don't remember if books are good or bad anymore. And then you get something (laughs) like this, and I'm like, oh no, this is this is badly done, and I feel okay. 
saying it. (laughs) I'm not sitting here reading this thinking, are we punching down? Is this really, does this really qualify? What is good? How subjectively does this fit none of that for this? This reading this, I was like, this is a book full of made up words that someone wrote in order to get money from teenagers. And it's nice to see something cut and dry like that. This franchise almost killed Dylan O'Brien, and we need to talk about that. <laughs> I do remember that happening. I, I guess we really don't really need to talk about it. I don't have that much to say about it. But just, like, imagine you, like, are severely, gravely injured filming, not this, but one of the sequels to this that I cannot assume is any better than this. Just imagine. It's one thing if you're, like, gravely injured shooting Casablanca or something, but, like... I don't know. Not good. Yeah, I did read the Wikipedia summaries of the other books and wow is all I can say. (laughs) Yeah, same. And then I fell into the Maze Runner fan wiki and I was like, oh, there are fans of this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are are elements to recommend it. Uh, The sentences are very short, which means you don't have to spend that much time with any of them, which I appreciate it. <laughs> That's a classic worst bestsellers compliment. <laughs> good short sentences, good short chapters. Yes. Yes. And I do think that something is interesting about the premise, uh, which was like very frustrating to me because I'm like a prison camp that's a puzzle box like that. That sounds like a fun premise. Like even as I was reading the bad book in my back of my head, I'm like, but it's still like a fun premise. Right. Uh, So um, no matter how ultimately the book came out, uh, you can't deny that uh, the premise is fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I would agree. I, I, And having recently had my experience with The Kissing Booth, where The Kissing Booth movie really, like, fixed that book, I almost wonder if the movie fixed this, because I kind of feel like it's possible, because the concept is cool, and the concept is very visual, and if you have, like, a cool-ass big maze, like, I don't know. The movie might be fine, but I'm not willing to risk two hours (laughs) of my life on that. (laughs) Unless someone pays us to do it, which every time I say that, someone then does pay us to do it. So I'm going to stop saying it. Yeah, let's um, let's talk about the book further. Oh, I didn't list any content warnings. This I feel I feel like this book is so bland. There really aren't like violence broadly. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of kids do die. <laughs> but like off screen (laughs) and not in any like real gruesome detail yeah every time a kid dies it's kind of like the way that like looney tunes get in a fight where it's like a (laughs) giant like cloud dust and you're like and it was like a tangle of arms and limbs and he saw a bright flash of blood and i'm like well this is just completely abstract and uh i'm glad that the characters are horrified because i'm just getting to the end (laughs) yeah uh yeah so that so it's got that going for it this book also it reminded me of red rising specifically in that they're unnecessarily gross about the bathroom situation where it's like 
you got like you have a society you have like robots like even if you're being rustic you could have like a normal composting toilet or something like why are you devolved to like bedpans i forgot about all the red rising poop thank you for that sorry it's forever (laughs) i hated it so much it seared into my memory (laughs) anyway so the content warning for poop aka clunk they have this book they have all this wild slang that i imagine we'll like get into but one of them is clunk for poop because clunk is the sound that the poop makes when it hits your like pot also by the way since you two did audio i must tell you it is clunk spelled with two k's so k-l-u-n-k clunk i did supplement at one point with the kindle version so i did see that okay I'm just, I'm just reading it for the first time, and I am really upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the book starts with Thomas, our protagonist, and he wakes up in a metal box, and he can't remember anything about his life except that his name is Thomas. He remembers, like, broad concepts of being a living human, but not any specifics. So, like, he knows who he is and he knows like what math is and that he needs to eat and the names of objects and foods but not like anything about history or society like and it's weird i think it clearly is james dashner like running into the problems of like being able to write without having these concepts because he'll do stuff like it reminded thomas of a zombie movie Thomas paused. He remembered the concept of movies, but not ever going to a movie. And like, what does any of this mean? Yes. So he he is in this this metal box, and there are all of these teenage boys who are reaching for him to pull him out of the box. And he sees that he's in this big enclosed area and meets a whole bunch of these boys. There is... He meets a whole bunch of archetypes. Oh, yes, he, meets, he does. He meets a bully. He meets a, a chubby bully victim. He meets a hot Asian. He meets a nice boy with a limp. And he meets their group leader. Yes. And some other boys who don't get names. And apparently we are let in on the fact as time goes on that a new boy comes every month. And when they are new, they are they are the newest newbie, a.k.a. the green bean or the greenie, mm-hmm. uh, as Thomas now is. And he is told to go hang out with the chubby bullied kid, Chuck, Mm-hmm. Uh, who will show him the ropes, which he never really does. He never really does. And Chuck is the like former greenie. He's like the second newest kid in town. So in some ways it makes sense to put them together, but then like Chuck doesn't really know. Yes. And this made me this made me so mad because it's like they have this whole society and they have this like routine where every month we get a new kid, but they are terrible at explaining anything to Thomas. Like anytime he has a question, they're just like, don't ask questions, like you'll see. It's like you guys surely must be used to this by now. Like you, you should have like a orientation packet ready to go. It is truly remarkable that we as readers have know anything about this society because no one, even at the point where they're like, we're going to teach you about what goes on in the glade, which is where we are. Like they get interrupted immediately and never like no one ever lays down the rules really for him or explains anything it's all pieced together 
it's it's not it's not a good book guys it's not a good book <laughs> the way that i like interpreted it, it was just sort of like the author being like well i don't want to you know mess up the pacing of this book by explaining what things mean which sort of instead of just like you know letting time go by or like you know changing the pacing of the book so that things are happening while they're explaining he just decides like you know what it's not time for us to know this part yet so the characters are just going to be incredibly recalcitrant and like weird and hostile uh basically just for pacing reasons like there's no reason for them to withhold information from him at any point they're just weird and sullen and mean to him because the author doesn't know how to pace his book yeah yeah so I think we'll try to pace a little bit better and just give you some information up front rather than string it out in like 20 chapters of it. Yes. So Thomas, he has like deja vu. Like this all seems vaguely familiar to him, but also it doesn't. And also he doesn't remember anything except for that he does remember. Yes. And as we said, it's this this area is called the Glade. It is surrounded by these super tall concrete walls covered in ivy. And it is separated into little sections where there's like a farm section and like an animal farming section and like the homestead area where they eat and have like their little town hall and like a little section of woods where there's a graveyard. And there are holes in these walls that are doorways that close at night and beyond the doorways there is the titular maze and they explain that the maze goes all around this middle section the glade and that every day they send maze runners out (laughs) to track the maze because it changes every night and they think that if they run every day they'll find a change that will lead them out of the maze it's the why they do the running is questionable but they do track the maze every day the maze runners come back and they draw maps of what the maze looked like that day and then within the maze are these creatures called grievers that are poorly described as just here i will describe the grievers to you okay they are large bulbous creatures the size of a cow but with no distinct shape Love a creature with no distinct shape, by the way. Um, They have a wicked instrument-tipped appendages protrude from its body like arms, a saw blade, a set of shears, long rods whose purpose could only be guessed. The creature was a horrific mix of animal and machine. Like, it sounds like someone had, like, a Jabba the Hutt action figure and then just, like, stuck, like, a kitchen drawer into it. (laughs) And these these are like they stalk the outs the maze bits during the day and at night, but they don't because there's big doors that close the maze off at night. They don't come into the glade compound part. And one of the first things that Thomas sees is a boy named Ben who has been stung by one of these grievers and was given something called grief serum, which is a a supply that is given to the kids in the Glade by the capital C creators who are in charge of this whole maze, Glade, teenage dystopia. And when you get the grief serum, you have memories from before. Yeah. If that sounds vague to you, that's because it is. Yes. By the way, do you guys want to know what the grief serum is? Thomas asks, this serum, I've heard that a couple times now. What is that? And where does it come from? And the answer he receives is just what it sounds like, Shank. 
it's a serum the grief serum <laughs> oh, thank you the serum is a serum okay <laughs> i get it now so when you get the grief serum you change capital c and your body gets gross i think yeah but then it goes back to normal after but this kid ben who is changing he claims that he has memories of thomas from the changing yeah and galley is like the main bully and he he changed a little while ago and like he's been a big bully ever since then because the changing makes you different yes. it changes you if you will <laughs> Yeah, somehow, somehow the changing makes you even more recalcitrant and hostile to providing explanations than you were previously. Uh, if you thought that you weren't going to get uh, someone to tell you what's going on before, boy, are they not going to tell you what's going on after the change. Yes. <laughs> to be fair, that is because if you try to describe something during the change, it causes seizures or something question mark uh, question mark nothing in this book is described particularly well <laughs> nah so thomas's first day he like sleeps with outside in a sleeping bag with chuck and you know is kind of taught the ropes and immediately there's something weird that's different than normal which is another person is coming through in the box which only that only ever happens once a month. And since Thomas just came through, everyone is shocked. And even more shocking is the fact that it's a girl and they've never had a girl come through before, but she does come through and then immediately passes out and goes into a coma. So everyone's like, ah, oh, wow. And the, first, the last thing she says before she passes out is that everything is changing and she's yeah. clutching a note that says she's the last one ever. Yes. And I, I will give a small grain of credit to this book. There is a part where like one of the boys says like, ooh, a girl, I get dibs. And then their leader, Albie, says like, hey, like nobody touches a girl. Like if anybody like if anybody tries sexual assault, like that's bad, basically. <laughs> and you know what? I that's a strong stance. I support it. <laughs> so they then it's a lot of, like, Thomas getting his little tour and learning the other jobs, which all have, like, stupid names. Like, they're the house where they keep the animals is called the Blood House. And, like, yes, they slaughter the animals there, but, like, the whole barn is called the Blood House. And then, yeah. like, their farming duty is called being a track hoe. Yeah. Like, why? It's all very fake and weird. If you are, like, a general janitorial staff, you're a slopper. There's, yeah, there's just all dumb names for everything. And not long after, you know, this girl comes through, her name is Teresa. We don't learn that for a long time until she wakes up, but we yes. can call her Teresa and not keep calling her the girl, which everyone yes. does. Um, So she she's in there, it, like in a coma, and Thomas is doing all of these jobs. And the kid who was having the changing when Thomas first shows up attacks him and is thrown in jail because he claims that Thomas has something to do with why they're they're all in here and he recognizes him from his memories from changing and as a punishment for attacking and trying to kill Thomas this kid is banished which is a process where they put a collar around him and then put him on the end of a very long pole in my head i pictured the kind of pole they use at animal control yeah and they like push him out of the 
of the into the out of the door like right as it's closing at nighttime into so he has to maze. be in the maze yeah and then retract part of the pole but not all of it some of it goes there with him it's a very convoluted process i was reading it and i was like is this a little horny like <laughs> there's like no normal reason you needed to do it this way like is this somebody's kink happening <laughs> Because you could just, like, push him out the door. You didn't need, like, all this gear. Yeah. And not not long after that happens, Minho, who is one of the runners. By the way, he's the keeper of the runner. And, like, in their little organization, there's, like, eight different jobs. And the head of each job is called a capital K keeper. So he's the head runner. But so... Mino comes back and he's like, ah, I found a dead griever. We've never found one of those before. So Alvi, the leader, goes out with him the next day to investigate it. And they don't come back. And the second in command, Newt, is very nervous about this in kind of a gay way. Kind of a gay way. Yeah. Kind of a gay way. Because they, it should only take them a couple hours. And now it's been like all day. And then right at the end of the day, as the gates are closing, Newt and Thomas catch sight of Minho and Albie like limping back towards the gate and they're not going to make it. And like there are grievers in there still and the door is going to have to close. And like the number one rule, the only rule that Thomas has been told so far is that no one goes in the maze after dark, but he can't stand the thought of leaving them stranded when he could help them. So he runs in just as the gates are closing and they're all stuck there. Thomas comes up with a way to like tie Albie because Albie's very badly hurt and unconscious up in the ivy on the side of the wall so that he's too high for the grievers to see him or something. There's, I'm sure, a good plot reason why the grievers never find Albie tied up on the wall. Well, because because it does climb up to get them, but Thomas is there and Thomas like runs off and distracts the one griever. Yeah. Like it follows him. Then they, they never it never goes back to try to get Albie again. Well, because I mean, because they do kill they do trick it into jumping through a big hole. Yes. But. They do take care of that. It is unclear eternally how many grievers there are, but yes. One thing also that's seated early on that I do want to mention is there's these um like little drones that spy on them called Beetle Blades, and they say on them in all caps, WICKED. And Thomas is like, huh, it says WICKED in all caps. Interesting. Uh, th- I just, that comes up early. Yes. So yeah, they, they, he does all these like wild tricks and runs from the Grievers and like keeps Albie tied up from the ground and manages to meet up with Minho again and tricks a griever into like smashing past him by using its own momentum against him which gives Minho a good idea and they then do the same trick to get all of the other grievers to go off the edge of the cliff in the maze yeah Um, like they're like fainting so like yes it's following them and then they like dodge but it keeps going straight yeah. By the way, anytime Thomas suggests anything in this fucking maze, Minho is like so condescending. He's like, Oh, we've been here for two years. You don't think we've tried that? You think we're stupid? You don't think we've thought of that? You don't think we've tried that? But then it quickly becomes clear that, like, no, they haven't thought of fucking anything. Yes, they haven't <laughs> thought of ducking. Although, to be fair, that does seem accurate for like teenage boys being like, Oh, of course we thought of that, but they didn't. 
Yes. Again, like, if they were supposed to be normal teen boys, you could forgive so much more of, like, their behavior. But the fact that the, the book says that they are geniuses or that they have been specially selected, ultimately, um, really just throws every moment where they are dumb in the sharpest possible relief. Like, you are, <laughs> you are never more aware of how dumb they are than... The paragraph after they say, actually, um, we're here because we're smart. Uh, It's uh, incredibly um, unsettling how quickly they're dumb after a pronouncement of their own intelligence. Yeah, every single one of these boys is dumber than Katniss Everdeen, who had to drop out of school when she was like 12. Yes. But so they, they do survive the night, all three of them, which is amazing. And everyone, it's never been done before. It's incredible. So they go back and they're able to get Albie because he'd been stung by one of the grievers, the the grief serum to make him better. And then they they call a meeting of the keepers to discuss what they're going to have to do about Thomas because he broke a rule and that has to maybe be punished because they need to keep order. Yep. Um, and so they have like their council meeting and Gally the bully is like he should get a month of solitary confinement and I just know Thomas is trouble because I saw it in my uh, changing vision and blah 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 and Minho is like oh I don't think he should be punished at all I think he should be made the keeper of the runners because like what he did was amazing everyone else is is kind of torn towards more like neutral of like yeah he should be punished for like a little bit versus like he shouldn't be punished because he did this thing that no one was able to do before and we need like his insight so they ultimately decide they're gonna put him in jail for one day and then he's going to become a runner not the the head runner but he'll become a maze runner to help like use his smart brain to figure out how to better run the maze or fucking whatever yep um did did we say how every time they run the maze they draw a map of it yes okay they do that yes they do this every day they've been doing it for two years and they haven't like made any progress in terms of figuring out what the maze means or how to get out but they they are like remarkably persistent which is intentional or like does end up mattering but um yeah if you're like you know what smart people do they draw mazes every single day uh then these are smart kids (laughs) (laughs) yes so albie during his change he asks for thomas and he tells thomas that during his changing he is remembering seeing Thomas and seeing the mysterious girl. And he remembers that there was some terrible illness and tells them they need to protect the maps. And when he tries to tell them more, he starts like choking himself and has like a weird seizure. Like something is controlling him and keeping him from saying more. So they're just kind of like, okay, well that's all weird. So Thomas admits to Newt that he does like have some like weird familiarities around the glade and this whole concept in general and admits to him that he did feel slightly familiar when he saw the girl for the first time. So Newt makes him go and sit with the girl and like stare at her face until he remembers something about her. But what happens is her name pops into his head, Teresa, 
And she starts talking to him telepathically and he freaks out and runs into the maze. But he does eventually come out before the door is closed for the night. And then he spends the next day in the slammer. And then he starts training to be a runner and gets all important new supplies like shiny silver running shoes and tidy whities that you need if you're a runner so your junk doesn't just bang around everywhere while you're running because they literally literally all they do is run through the maze it's not like they're cartographers walking around tracking the walls they run through the maze and have to learn how to like take notes and make like marks mark their path in the maze while running Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's how you do it uh (laughs) By the way, his the name for their special underwear is Runny Undies, which is gross. This book is gross. And uh, uh, the Runny Undies is a really important scene to me because if they're like, oh, are you wondering um, if all of these kids are cisgender or not? Uh, they're like, no, we are going to assume that uh, you have uh, cisgender junk uh, and here's your special underwear. So they do, they, they do make that clear, uh, which I think is important because you're like, oh, is anyone... Uh, trans here is there anything going on uh, and you're like absolutely not so uh, I do enjoy the fact that they do bring up the underwear just to make that really clear yeah is the capital C change a transition no absolutely not carry on <laughs> in the okay here's I think maybe the part that made me most insane is in the maze Thomas sees a plaque on the wall that says oh my god this in- also made me insane sorry keep going in capital letters, it says World in Catastrophe colon Killzone Experiment Department. It's capitalized. Earlier, he has seen Wicked and wondered what that meant. Obviously, World in Catastrophe Killzone Experiment Department spells out Wicked. It, I, I could get if you... No, I can't get how if you're already wondering about that, you're in an environment that has like no other signage. This is like the only words you've seen. And you're not like, oh, that's the same letters as Wicked. Like, it's it's so clearly. And they see this plaque and he's like, what is it? And Mina's like, I don't know. It's just a sign that's there. They, like, talk about this sign. And he does not put together. He honestly never puts together that stands for Wicked. Teresa figures it out, like, 20 chapters later. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, uh, I have, whenever the book tries to be clever, it's very painful and you do feel like um, the world is like blurring around you. Uh, I don't like the fact that it spells out wicked. I don't like that the bad guys are called wicked. Um, This is a book where children die and it has like these inspector gadget ass (laughs) villains who are just like, yeah, we're called nemesis. We're called bad men. It stands for. And I'm like, this is some cartoon stuff. This doesn't belong in a, dystopian novel about children horribly being murdered so get out of here world in catastrophe kill zone experiment department <laughs> i also don't like the fact that they're like later they're like i think we're part of an experiment and i'm like how did you guess that the fact that the word experiment is on all the walls uh i am so mad <laughs> <sighs> yeah anyway so while they're like ignoring the world and catastrophe kills on experiment department sign, they do see a griever disappear. And it seems like it just like disappears into thin air. And Minho and Thomas throw rocks and they find like a square of space that 
like there's like a hologram covering a hole basically like if you throw a rock somewhere else you could see it fall all the way down but if you throw it there it just like disappears and so they realize like oh there's like something there and again they've been here for two years and never like well mino says they tried that before but they did a bad job of it i guess yeah also around this time Teresa tells telepathically tells thomas that she triggered the ending and oh yeah the next morning when they wake up the sun is gone and (laughs) like the sky is just like overcast gray and the spot where like the sun used to be like the 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 time they can't tell the time by how light it is outside anymore basically because i mean it's all they're all in an artificial environment anyway but because there's no sun their crops aren't going to be able to grow so that's not good and also their supplies, which normally come every day at the same time, have not come or every week at the same time have not come today. So if they're not getting supplies and they don't have fake sunlight, they're not going to be able to continue to make food. So yeah, it's, it's almost as if the ending has been triggered. Yes. I do also like the fact that one thing I will give in the book is that it never explains how she triggers the ending. And that's, to me, fine. I'm like, (laughs) the less you explain about the things that happen, the better the book is. The more you explain it, the more mad I am. So just have the girl say, while in her coma, the ending's here. It's chapter 33. Uh, We're triggering the last third of the book. I'm like, thank you. Uh, I don't need to know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, they also discover that night that the doors of the maze don't close. So everyone's freaking out. They put Teresa. Albie decides Teresa needs to go into the slammer because she triggered the ending, even though no one knows what that means. Uh, And they try to barricade themselves into the, like, town hall house homestead that they have in order to protect themselves from the grievers. Uh, And at some point, so after the big meeting where they decided that Thomas was going to have one day in jail and then become a runner, Gally, the bully who had wanted him to go to jail forever, got into a fight with Minho and then ran out of the meeting and hadn't been seen since. And tonight, when the gates aren't closing and, you know, the grievers are entering the city as they're all bundled up in the homestead, hiding from the grievers... Galley returns, he breaks open one of the windows so one of the Grievers can come in and tells them all that the Grievers are going to kill one of them each night until they're all gone. And then, like, essentially sacrifices himself to one of the Grievers and is, like, pulled by the Griever out of the building and away. Then Teresa tells Thomas some crucial plot info. She says that the maze is a code... And then she reveals to him that when she was coming out of her coma, she wrote the phrase wicked is good on her hand. Wicked in all capital letters, just to make it so clear. Thomas says, I've seen that word, wicked. He searched his mind for what the phrase could possibly mean. On the little creatures that live here, the beetle blades. Yes, you did see it there. You also did see the extremely insane phrase world in catastrophe kills on experiment (laughs) department. Like a set of words that would never be put together in that sequence unless you're specifically trying to spell out another word with their first letters. Yes. Ugh. But they don't <laughs> they do not figure it out yet. It will be quite some time before they make that connection. 
Yes. But so because Teresa has said that the maps are code, Thomas gets the idea that they should look at all of the maps because there are eight sections of the maze and each section has a maze runner. And each day they compare maps of each section to maps of that section in previous days, but it never occurs to them to compare the maps to the other sections. Yeah. Again, they've been here for two years They've been working really hard on this, allegedly. So they they discover, now knowing that it's a code, they're like, ah, well, we'll need to compare all the different sections to each other as soon as, you know, we live through the night of these grievers coming and trying to kill us. And Albie heads out to, like, get a head start on it at the map room. But after Galley, the bully sacrifices himself to the grievers and disappears they notice the map room is on fire and someone has set fire to all of the maps and knocked albie over the head but luckily because albie had said in his changed state to protect the maps newt had had ordered that all of the real maps be hidden so it was decoy maps that were burned yeah which is classic for this book of just like oh something happened just kidding just like every chapter is like oh here's like one more kernel of info yes yeah i think it's like the problem i I, we can we'll talk probably more about this but i think the problem when you don't have any prose which is just like about kind of developing the world and it's like 80 percent geared toward the plot of the book then the plot just has to become very complicated and like very unnecessarily contrived like the whole map thing it's just like why did this even have to happen it's just that it's like i'm like you could just take this out and it's just uh we could just skip over it it's just like a cutscene that doesn't matter and i'm you know it's just like i don't understand why we have it there yeah great point <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like I'm. I feel like I'm getting less articulate as we go on. Uh, that's, that's just that's just what these books do to you as a human. <laughs> uh, listen to us. It's been seven years and we cannot form sentences. Don't worry. Uh, okay, this is another thing that made me lose my mind. So Thomas gets the idea, or Teresa, they get the idea that they need to trace the maps onto wax paper and then layer them over each other. Can I make a, a small interjection here? Yeah. Is that clearly, clearly James Dashner does not have very much experience baking because there is at this point an implication that they have wax paper because they use it to line baking sheets, which is not Kate, what they use wax is- paper paper for. It is what they use parchment paper for. They are two different things. Wax paper melts in the oven. Yes, that is literally what I was going to say. I was going to oh, because okay. I pulled the quote. <laughs> fry pan which is their cook's name fry pan wasn't too happy about having a whole box of his wax paper rolls taken away from him especially with their supplies cut off he argued that it was one of the things he always requested that he used it for baking and like yes you don't use it for baking but also it's like the the capital e end is nigh fry pan you think you're gonna be baking just give him the wax paper god anyway he does eventually but it was just like I feel like it was just James Dashner being like, I need to justify how they got wax paper anyway. Yes, it's just, it's there, you know, you could have Googled what you'd use wax paper for. <laughs> He's like, no, I, I'm pretty sure I know what wax paper is for. I don't need to Google this. Yeah, it's for mazes. <laughs> <laughs> so they layer the mazes over each other and they realize that like when you layer them, 
it makes letters and over time it spells out these words which are spoilers for the next week's wordles by the way (laughs) it's float catch bleed death stiff push and so they're like okay this is the code and thomas admittedly is a little disappointed because he thought this code would explain anything and instead it is float catch bleed death stiff push which explains (laughs) nothing So they keep on, well, they're working on that, and Thomas realizes he needs to go through the chain so that he can unlock his memories. So he, like, jumps on a griever to do that. And so he spends three days in, like, his griever serum coma. And, like, yeah, and and the thing about that is, like, I feel like when he first learns that going through the chain restores some of your memories, um, like, he does not take that information very seriously, they're like, oh, Galley's acting weird because he can remember from the change. And he's just like, ugh, I don't want to think about that. That sounds bad. And I'm like, you want your memories back. So it's like this weird thing where like it's 20 chapters later and now they're doing this thing which they set up 20 chapters ago. And I'm like, didn't that interest you when you first learned that? It's just one of those things where you're just yelling at the character going, hey, you can do this in chapter 20 or you can do this in chapter 46. No reason to wait. Uh, but then they did uh, for, mm-hmm. for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Thomas, after he calls a gathering, explains everything that he has learned from his changing. And that is that the maze is a an experiment, a trial that they all have to go through. And that they are orphans from a great plague that were taken and put into this program. Their names aren't their real names. They were named for famous scientists. And there is no actual solution to the maze. They were just being put in here, I guess, to see how long they will keep trying to find a solution to the maze. Because they're the smartest teenagers in what's left of the plague written world. Yes. (laughs) They need to be persistent. So like as Rachel mentioned earlier, the point of this is really to test persistence. Yes. And here's something that made me again lose my mind. Thomas is like, oh, all of our names aren't even our names. Quote, all our names are just stupid nicknames they made up. Like Albie for Albert Einstein, Newt for Isaac Newton, and me, Thomas, as in Edison. And so this this is what sent me down the Maze Runner fan wiki because I <laughs> was like, well, who's Minho? Like, I'm I'm sure there must be like a famous Asian scientist that I'm not familiar with. You would think. However, instead of being named after someone historically famous, he is named after James Dashner's niece's Korean husband. What? <laughs> oh my god. It's like the whole premise that they're named after the great people of science is already extremely upsetting. And then the fact that he didn't even commit to it to all his named characters, and there's like six of them, like it does. I, I like I I've lost teeth from the grinding. It's it's really <laughs> upsetting. I can't think of anything an author could do that would make me more mad. Um. <laughs> Oh, do you think that it could be to have your one woman character be named after Mother Teresa because there aren't any lady scientists? I mean, that's not helping. Yeah, I mean, there's really there's about five layers to why that's a very bad thing to do. First, Mother Teresa, not that good. Second, not a scientist. Third, 
she's not even nice like the character (laughs) no like the character doesn't resemble mother Teresa like in any respect where you're like oh that name sort of makes sense we can talk more about Teresa once we're done but right like like if it had been like oh we need a peacekeeper and someone to come in and like show teach us to show compassion that's not at all what Teresa does no 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 she's like Everything she says is like really snotty and rude. She's and she's constantly being like, Ugh, stinky boys. Like, <laughs> it's like, like her, like her dialogue. All the dialogue is bad, but her dialogue uh, reaches a nadir where you're like, well, I guess that's the ground. I guess we're not getting worse dialogue than this uh, young woman. She's just a pill that um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, understand how you are so less pleasant than all these angry other people but somehow you made it and also you're also the love interest because we need one it's just i feel like i am unlearning how to talk because i'm so mad about this character (laughs) well it could be because of the implant we did place in your brain Um. (laughs) (laughs) whenever i act weird or whenever you need me to do something it's always great to just establish that there's an implant that will make me act a certain way that is not bad writing it's dystopian mm-hmm. uh-huh. so we also find out from thomas's changing that he and Teresa helped design the maze which was something he had vaguely spoke about with Teresa earlier because they were forced to because their telepathy how their telepathy was useful in the course of this is never really explained no no he's like because he reveals this and the other teens are like you're like kids too why did you design the maze and he's like well because we have this gift that makes us valuable it's our telepathy and like that that doesn't help you design a maze that could maybe help you like be a spy there's a lot of things that it could be useful for maze building doesn't really seem to be one of them yeah yeah the telepathy is very again i keep using the word upsetting i really should have brought a thesaurus to the podcast (laughs) The things I hate about the telepathy, uh, first of all, not explained in this book at all. So you have to read the sequels to be like, what's going on? Second of all, I'm pretty sure they just have telepathy so they can like chat with each other when when they're in different rooms. I feel like the author was just like, well, I really want them to sort of build this relationship. But you know, one of them's in jail. So uh, I guess they can talk to each other in each other's heads which is, I feel like, not a good solution to that problem. Three is that the telepathy really brings to bear what I hate most about Thomas's character, which is just that he's like this weird hypocrite all the time. Like, he's been keeping his their telepathy from the other kids uh, at the same time while he has been, um, you know, annoyed that they haven't been telling him things. Like, in the same paragraph, we'll be like, he decided that he couldn't tell them. He was also upset that they wouldn't tell him their plan. And I'm like, do you not see that you are not being forthright with these people either? Like, he, it doesn't even occur to him that he is being hypocritical there. He's just <laughs> this little shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and the telepathy really brings that into focus for me. Yeah, there's also, like, a, an ongoing thing where, like, she can send him messages, but he can't do it. And she's like, just try it. And he's like, I don't know how. And then suddenly he does. It's like, I don't know, just, like, think harder. I don't know. 
Yeah. Just seems like it would do it. But so he reveals all this and then Albie reveals that he was the one who burned the maps because and then he faked his own head wound because he didn't want to go back to the world they came from because he remembered the terrible disease that killed everyone and death would be better than returning there. And so they decide they're going to do like this big run through the maze because they think since the grievers will only kill one of them per night that they can hopefully escape with only one of them being killed. Most of them decide to go through the maze to get to the computer so that they can use the secret code to turn the grievers off. Some of them decide to stay behind and I think like 40 of them end up going into the maze. And of course the grievers are all there waiting for them and attack them and kill many more than one of them. But Thomas, Teresa and Chuck, because they have the code are kind of made the rest of the kids, the rest of the gladers clear a path for them so that they can jump through the griever hole that they have previously discovered like the hologram holographic entrance into whatever a griever hole is the opposite of a glory hole (laughs) full opposite by the way thomas and Teresa are the ones who like have to go and thomas like claims chuck for their group because he halfway through this decided that he feels like older brother paternalism towards chuck and he like vows to chuck that he'll do whatever it takes to get chuck back home and it's oh let me please allow me to read how he this is this is how the feelings that Thomas comes up with about Chuck. The boy's bravery solidified something in Thomas's heart. He loved the kid. He loved him as if they had the same mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he loved him as if they were half brothers. <laughs> I will say that, like, the the amount and direction of Thomas's empathy in this book really does leave something to be desired. Like, he's constantly seeing, like, people get murdered and being like, he hoped that wasn't anybody he knew. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so persistently self-centered and weird and constantly getting upset at people when he could just, like, stay calm. Um, But I do love that they're like, wait, we need... We need Thomas to have an emotional connection with someone who will die uh, or else his character can have no emotional beats whatsoever. I am glad that they decided that he likes Chuck because otherwise uh, his death would be as meaningless as everybody else's. Yeah. Listen, he, he, he can't have the same mom as all of those kids. That would mean that like his mom was sleeping around and that's an insult <laughs> to his mom that he right. can't remember. <laughs> He's only allowed to have a sort of half-brotherly feelings for one person, and it's Chuck. So then when they're typing in the code, though, this is another thing that's so stupid. It just sort of made me, like, leave my body for a moment. <laughs> so Teresa's typing in the code words, which, as I'm sure you recall, are float, catch, bleed, death, stiff, push. And she's like, it won't let me type in the last word. And I guess the way that this works is each time you type in one word, it, like, disappears and is accepted, which is, like, not how Typing most works. things work. But, okay. So she's like, you know, it accepted all the other words, but it won't accept push. And then they're freaking out and, like, a griever is coming down and, like, Thomas is fighting off a griever. And then Chuck is like, hey, 
Uh, what if when it says push, what it means is that you should push that button that literally says kill the maze on it. That's like right under the computer you're typing on. Y- yeah, Chuck, what if it does mean that? <laughs> so they push the button and all the grievers go to sleep and the survivors come down the griever hole and there's only like 20 of them left in total. Well, there's 21, which is not a round number, but don't worry, they're going to take care of that. <laughs> And they, like, walk through the chamber and they see, like, there's all these people behind windows and it's like, ah, it's the capital C creators. And then a woman comes in with Galley and Galley's like... Who we thought was dead. They're all, like, shocked. Like, oh my god, it's Galley. Which, by the way, did you wonder what Galley was short for? It's Galileo. Bye. Um, so Galley pulls out a knife to throw it at Thomas because he's like ah like they have chips in our head they can control us but Chuck dives in front of Thomas to die in his place and you know round the number off to 20 which is a much more palatable number of survivors and Thomas is very upset because he had promised Chuck that he'd help him find his family again and oh no now he's dead and it's sad. But then a whole bunch of rebels come in and kill a woman and tell the Glader survivors that they're here to rescue them and like herd them all onto a bus and drive them away from this facility. And there's like a crowd of zombies outside the bus. And we get some really quick info about the illness called the flare that started from sun flares and made everyone turn into zombies. And the people who have saved the Gladers are fighting against Wicked and the zombies. And they're going to protect them. So they drive them to like a compound where there's bunks for everyone. And they can all have pizza and have a good night's sleep. (laughs) But then... We get an epilogue in the form of a memo from Ava Page, who was the woman they met and thought was dead. And it's about the Maze Trials Group A. And it like describes, you know, how pleased she is with how they performed in the Maze Trials and how, you know, they needed the system shock of seeing Chuck get murdered in order to like reboot their systems or something. And that they'll be allowed one full night's sleep before stage two of the trials. Dun, dun, dun. They really haven't been kidnapped. They're, that's just part two of the trials, which are continued in the Scorch trials, which we are not going to read. No. <laughs> I know we, we've talked through the end, but uh, can I tell you that the two things I really love about the scene where Galley throws the knife and then Chuck dies and then Thomas, is, Thomas beats up Galley. Please. First of all, I think there's something so funny about the moment where the scientist is like, we need to introduce one more variable. And then the variable is just one kid throwing a knife at another kid. Like, that's just <laughs> such a funny moment to me. <laughs> Whenever I'm going to, like, hurt someone, I'm going to be like, time to introduce one final variable. It's just, again, this is supposed to be a serious book with, like, child murder. But then it's just like, this is, like, a funny moment. This is such a funny thing that a guy would say in, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like, time for one final variable. And then I love the fact that Galley is just like, listen, they are controlling my body. They have something in my brain that is making me do things. And then he throws the knife. 
Chuck dies, and then Thomas just beats the shit out of Galley as if, like, it wasn't just explained to him that it's not Galley's fault at all. Galley's like, they're controlling my body, and Thomas is like, how dare you kill my friend? I'm going to kill you. It's like, did you listen to him? Like, he probably spent a lot of his energy, like, resisting the microchip to explain to you that he's being controlled, and you just beat the shit out of him anyway. Like, and you are, again, named after Thomas Edison, who we know is one of the most smartest people who's ever lived. So um, I just really thought it was really funny that Thomas just beat the shit out of this kid who is a victim and is being controlled by a microchip. Uh, and he is also our protagonist. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's shades of Winter Soldier in this also of just like... Uh, inability to accept brainwashing as a valid excuse which i agree in the real world it isn't but within the confines of this fiction like it seems pretty literal yeah thomas sucks (laughs) (laughs) Uh... (laughs) i also do like that when they are taken to the fun nice place with pizza that um i do like that they give teresa her own room they're like oh right you are you are the girl (laughs) here's your own room (laughs) you can't deal with all the farting that the boys are about to do i interpreted it in like a heterosexual way of like we have to keep you away from the boys for sex reasons and this is a book about like tons of boys like living together with zero mention at all like even jokingly of homosexuality in any way and and yet i haven't been brave enough to like dig in and confirm this theory but i feel like this book probably has especially with the movies with dylan o'brien of it all i feel like it probably has a big like newsies like fandom like a big like outsiders like fandom of like girls are just like ooh, like a bunch of boys who have vaguely defined personalities like (laughs) i ship them together and like you know this I bet there is like a shit ton of fan fiction for this because these boys are all so vague that it would be very easy to say any of them is in love with any of the other ones. And I'm like, yeah, I buy it. All right. Let's see. The Maze Runner, all media types. Newt slash Thomas, 3,754. Minho slash Thomas, 896. Ah, Newt Thomas is the winner by far. Wait, what about Newt Albie? That would be my initial thought. Two hundred and forty-two. That's way less. Yeah. Are you reading the um the Ao three fanfiction numbers? Yes. I got it. Yeah, I guess I guess Alvy does die in the first one. Yeah, but you can bring him back. It's, it's true. Oh, but you know what? Also, Alvy is black. Mm. Also, I think we forgot to say that part out loud. But he is black canonically. Uh, and we do know how far fandom will go to put two white men together. <laughs> well, I do like the fact that, like, I think the only physical descriptions we get in the books of someone's face, like, are just like telling us how ugly the bully is. Uh, I think it, there was a line like his he has like a nose like a ham. <laughs> Which is like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember that, but I don't remember any other explanations for how people look, except for sort of this sort of um, implication that uh, Minho and the other runners are probably all hot because they all do a lot of exercise. Minho is 
canonically hot. Every here's what I remember is there are three different people who are described as having a nose like a ham, a potato, and a lemon. A lemon. Not even like like this literally says the size of a lemon. That is so big. <laughs> like if you say it's shaped like a lemon, I'm like, okay, but no size, but shape, but you know, the size of a lemon. Yeah. How big is the rest of his face? What's happening? Is this like a dystopian detail where uh, at the end of the world we all have these giant lemon sized noses? And you know, Suzanne Collins would have you believe yes, because she described the vanity plastic surgery that the wealthy elites get. And I was on board with it, and I had no further questions. Uh, James Doshner is not giving us that because he's not on that level. Mm. But I, <laughs> I suppose it's perhaps time to get into our dramatic readings and just give you a, like an unadulterated snort of this book through your lemon <laughs> nose. I will say before we get into the readings, I think of all of the things that are so uh, incredibly impressive about this book, uh, the most impressive is the fact that the Gladers are never said to be horny, they're never said to make any art of any kind, and they're never said to play any sort of recreational activity. I was, I kept waiting for them to say, oh, when we're not frightened and throwing up and dying, uh, we also play soccer or do something like because we're kids and it passes the time. But I don't think we get anything like that. They they just do their chores and go to sleep. Yeah, it's very chaste in that way. Uh, the the thing we do get is when somebody's explained to Thomas like, oh, we can make requests in the box and sometimes they'll send us the stuff we ask for, such as when we need more runny undies. And he says like one time we asked for a TV, but they didn't send it. But I. Yeah, you're right. They could have asked for a soccer ball and probably gotten that. Or they could have made one. Like, they're making their own leather and stuff. You could make a busted little ball. You know, they probably, honestly, off-page, they were just experimentally giving each other hand jobs, and James Dashner didn't want to write that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. But here, here's what he did write. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to read a little bit about Chuck giving... Thomas the Ropes of the Glade. This is a dumb book, guys. Yeah. Wait a minute. Have you guys ever tried it? Chuck interrupted before Thomas could finish. Tried what? Going down in the box after it makes a delivery? Chuck answered. It won't do it. it won't go down until it's completely empty. Thomas remembered Albie telling him that very thing. I already knew that, but what about tried it? Thomas had to suppress a groan. This was getting irritating. Man, you're hard to talk to. Tried what? Going through the hole after the box goes down? Can't. Doors will open, but there's just emptiness, blackness, nothing. No ropes? Nada. Can't do it. How could that be possible? Did you? Tried it. Thomas did groan this time. Okay, what? We threw some things down in the hole. Never heard them land. It goes for a long time. Thomas paused before he replied, not wanting to be cut off again. What are you, a mind reader or something? He threw as much sarcasm as he could into the comment. Just brilliant, that's all. Chuck winked. Chuck, never wink at me again. Thomas said it with a smile. Chuck was a little annoying, but there was something about him that made things seem less terrible. Thomas took a deep breath and looked back toward the crowd around the hole. So how long until the delivery gets here? Usually takes about an hour after the alarm. Thomas thought for a second. There had to be something they hadn't tried. 
You sure about the hole? Have you ever? He paused, waiting for the interruption, but none came. Have you ever tried making a rope? Yeah, they did with the ivy. Longest one they could possibly make. Let's just say that experiment didn't go so well. What do you mean? What now? Thomas thought. I wasn't here, but I heard the kid who volunteered to do it had only gone down about ten feet when something swished through the air and cut him clean in half. What? Thomas laughed. I don't believe that for a second. Oh yes, smart guy. I've seen the sucker's bones. Cut in half like a knife through whipped cream. They keep him in a box to remind future kids not to be so stupid. By the way, we do see that box later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to read to you guys about the banishment poll. Albie didn't respond to Ben. He pulled on the collar to make sure it was both firmly snapped and solidly attached to the long pole. He walked past Ben and along the pole, picking it up off the ground as he slid its length through his palm and fingers. When he reached the end, he gripped it tightly and turned to face the crowd. Eyes bloodshot, face wrinkled in anger, breathing heavily. To Thomas, he suddenly looked evil. And it was an odd sight on the other side. Ben, trembling, crying, a roughly cut collar of old leather wrapped around his pale, scrawny neck, attached to a long pole that stretched from him to Albie, 20 feet away. The shaft of aluminum bowed in the middle. Bowed in the middle? Did something. But only a little. Even from where Thomas was standing, it looked surprisingly strong. Albie spoke in a loud, almost ceremonious voice, looking at no one and everyone at the same time. Ben of the Builders, you've been sentenced to banishment for the attempted murder of Thomas the Newbie. The keepers have spoken and their word ain't changing, and you ain't coming back. Ever. A long pause. Keepers, take your place on the banishment pole. One by one, boys were stepping out of the crowd and walking over to the long pole. They grabbed it with both hands, gripped it as if readying for a tug-of-war match. Newt was one of them, as was Minho, confirming Thomas's guess that he was the keeper of the runners. Once they were all in place, ten keepers spaced evenly apart between Albie and Ben, the air grew still and silent. The only sounds were the muffled sobs of Ben, who kept wiping in his nose and eyes. He was looking left and right, though the collar around his neck prevented him from seeing the pole and keepers behind him. Uh, Okay, I'm just gonna... This goes on for so long. (laughs) Um, And just to be clear, like, this is this is the boy ceremoniously condemning another kid to death because he attacked another kid while he was going through, like, a illness illness derived hallucination yep so the terms that they've decided he meets to to be condemned to death are extremely shaky but our protagonist is never like maybe i should stop them or maybe i should you know loudly declare that this isn't good or any sort of like you know ethical stance against what they're doing we're just watching a bunch of kids kill another kid uh for hurting a kid uh, while he was sick yeah, I mean, Thomas feels a little bad about it, but <laughs> must be done. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, again, that goes on for several more pages, but it's just like, why did you do it that way? Why, if you must, if you must sentence him to death by shoving him in the maze, which again, I agree with Rachel, I don't think you must. 
but surely there were less convoluted ways to achieve that. But that's not what this book is about, baby. I feel like the easiest way would just be to, you know, pull a Ned Stark and cut his head off. Like something really simple. (laughs) Real fast. But yeah, it it does become like this Wicker Man-esque sort of like ritual (laughs) where everyone's just watching it and it's like, very everyone's like participating in it and I, I don't know maybe that makes them feel closer because they have uh no hobbies or other rituals like this is the only thing that they've like sort of come together on it's like oh yeah uh every so often we will like kill one of ourselves mm-hmm. um uh, to grow closer the elaborate rituals to touch one another with a long pole yeah yeah <laughs> um all right rachel will you read your dramatic reading now please Sure. Uh, So this is at the very end. They've just been sort of quote unquote rescued from a facility containing the creators and they're on this bus uh, with these sort of, they sort of seem or appear to be sort of like renegades or rebels. And they've like, again, quote unquote, been rescued by these people. And the bus is just careening down the road or street. It's again, as the, the prose is so good in this book, The driver drove at reckless speeds through towns and cities, uh, the heavy rain obscuring most of the view. Lights and buildings were warped and watery, like something out of a drug-induced hallucination. At one point, people outside rushed the bus, their clothes ratty, hair matted to their heads, strange sores like those Thomas had seen on the woman. They pounded on the sides of the vehicle as if they wanted to get on wanted to escape whatever horrible lives they were living. Uh, (laughs) The bus never slowed. Teresa remained silent next to Thomas. He finally got up enough nerve to speak to the woman sitting across the aisle. Uh, What's going on, he asked, not sure how else to pose it. The woman looked over at him. Wet black hair hung in strings around her face. Dark eyes, full of sorrow. That's a very long story. The woman's voice came out much kinder than Thomas had expected, giving him hope that she truly was a friend that all of the rescuers were friends, despite the fact that they'd run over a woman in cold blood. (laughs) So yeah, so I cut off, I cut off the part where we watched that happen. (laughs) (laughs) But I love, they're like all like kind of sad and emo and they're like, oh, it's a very long story to tell you what's going on. He's like, he felt like he could trust them even though he just watched them kill this kill this like sick woman with their bus i mean it's less upsetting than the banishment poll (laughs) that's true all right let's move on to reader's advisory where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to the maze runner if it's not clear i'm this is a full instead of situation yes unless you're a mom who insists your boy only wants to read about boys and then fuck off i guess you can have this um I said Yellow Jackets recently, and I'm going to say Yellow Jackets, the show, again. Unless you're a boy who only likes to read about boys, then you would not like Yellow Jackets. Yes, I will say Yellow Jackets was the first thing that popped into my mind, along with The Hunger Games, which we did already mention at the top of the show. Rachel, do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't read a lot of YA, so I don't know if something like Piranesi would be appropriate for a young man who hates the art of literature uh but i liked it it's about um a man who has lost his memory and is in a giant maze uh so in some ways very much like the maze runner uh except that uh the explanation is good and the writing is good and the characters are good oh yeah that sounds very different (laughs) 
We'll have a whole list on our website, worstbestsellers.com, of some other ones that we don't have time to get into right now. But yeah, there are better YA books that exist than this. And now it's time for The Rock, Paper, Snicked, which is, of course, the game we play where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Rachel will choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would show up out of the griever hole in order to rally all of the gliders together to jump off the edge of the world in the cliff in the maze to their deaths. Because, to be honest, that seems like a much better solution than all of the convoluted nonsense that goes on in the rest of these books now that i have read the wikipedia summaries of all of the rest of them (laughs) you're not wrong all right well i too read the wikipedia summaries and that's how i learned that they're the trials group b is all girls with one boy in an opposite of this group and so if Wolverine were in this book, the book would instead be about Group B, because as we all know, Wolverine thrives as a mentor to teenage girls. And so that's where he would be. And they would just have a chill time in the Glade. He wouldn't be a runner because he is too short, but he would work <laughs> in the farm area and teach them how to brew beer and just have like a pretty chill time. Yeah. Oh, man, I want to read the Wolverine one so bad. <laughs> So I have to go with Snick. Just for those who read the Wikipedia entries for the sequels, is it ever explained why the groups are all like one gender except for one person? Not satisfactorily. I think I think just like for variables. I think I think it must just be for like heterosexual love interest reasons, but that's yeah. not stated. Because like the only reason I can think of is like they're like, well, I really want to do a book about boys. Uh, but I, my publisher says I need to have one female character, and which means that the sequel we'll see the flip of that, uh, because that makes it even. <laughs> right, because like I could see like oh we'll do an experiment with one group of boys, one group of girls, okay, but the the one bonus person is clearly just like a horny contrivance. <laughs> it would uh. be funny if like the one person who wasn't the gender was like extremely horny and like was like explicitly tempting everybody all the time (laughs) and i bet if you go on archive of our own that's what you will find yeah (laughs) all right let's move on to duarte's corner where my cat duarte shares his opinions about the book Yeah, Dorte, I mean, you're right that it's dumb that these kids only have a dog and and that their dog is named Bark. But I think I think probably the girls group has a cat because we all know that dogs are boys and cats are girls, in- including you somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> I you know, I was gonna say a similar thing, you know, not to become gender essentialist or anything but there's really no way the girls I I have to trust that the girls had a better outcome than the nonsense that the boys came up with and in making those smarter choices would of course make the smarter choice to have a cat instead of a dog yeah I actually completely forgotten that they had a dog Uh, I don't think the dog ends up becoming plot essential so that means I don't know that he shows up after he's introduced Um, 
Uh, I'd love to see the previous draft of the book where the dog ends up being instrumental in the de- in the defeat of all these slug monsters. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you could bring a dog into the maze with you. Like, dogs love to go on walks, I hear. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Dorote, thanks as ever. We cherish your opinions. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? No. Yeah, I guess, like, <laughs> again, I like the premise uh, I, like, I like the essential premise and I just wish that it was better written like I wish it was I wish the prose was better I wish like it explored more concepts um, I wish like there had been any sort of like indication that the author had thought about like whether any of the characters were trans or queer like that would have made me like at least feel like a little bit more engaged with what was happening, but it definitely does feel like all dogs are boys and all cats are girls type uh, <laughs> level of, of gender in this book, which like considering how important gender is in this book, like the fact that all the, the boys are put together, obviously intentionally, it feels like, um, well, you're, it's, it, it feels like it should be about that because you've made it about that, but then you don't really explore it. And, and I kind of feel like that is, uh, what the whole book is like like n- interesting concepts but not any sort of sense that it's been thought through more than how do these kids get out of this and how can Thomas um, be slightly smarter than everyone else while also uh, being a complete pill all the time uh, and you just sort of uh, end up really uh, dreading all of his internal monologues. And you just really want as little insight to him as possible as the book goes on. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, an interesting premise, but mostly wasted. The amount of joy that I felt at reading the phrase, he loved him as if they had the same mom. <laughs> will It'll be a while for a book to replicate that, I think. Guys, guys, guys. A true reminder of why we do this. Truly. <laughs> um, also, also uh, uh, there's just one more variable to check uh, and then uh, stabbing or killing someone. Yes. Guys, I have made a late-breaking discovery. Yes. And considering how many wiki tabs I had open on this book, I'm shocked that I didn't get around to this one. But I've just now opened a tab for James Dashner's wiki page, the mm-hmm. author himself. I have two pieces of information. I'm not sure which one is least surprising to me. One, can you guess where he went to college? It was Brigham Young University. He is a Mormon. <laughs> and the Stephanie Meyer and the guy who wrote Courtship of Princess Leia school, Brigham Young. That's fact one. Okay. Fact two. In 2018, Dashner was dropped by his agent, Michael Boré, and his publisher, Penguin Random House, following accusations of sexual harassment. Dashner replied in a statement, I am taking any and all criticisms and accusations very seriously, and I will seek counseling and guidance to address them. Uh, There has been no update on that since 2018. Wow. (laughs) You know, now, I feel like I vaguely do remember reading this in 2018, but there was just, like, a lot going on. There was a lot going on in 2018. (laughs) Yeah, and then I... I just haven't really like heard anything about or from James Dashner in the last few years. And I guess this is why. And I just haven't haven't looked into that in a minute. So wow. that's 
that makes sense. That makes the most sense. <laughs> it does. Like this guy. It does, in fact, make a lot of sense. What a perfect bow to put on the top of this podcast episode. Yeah, I would say it really enriches the text. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, the good news is we're done with this. And um, if you would like to come and find us on the internet as a podcast, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestsellers Spelled Normally. We're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because we lent the S to some other agency to spell a really sweaty acronym. <laughs> and they needed they needed that S for the for the S and sweaty. Mm. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the podcast places. You know what they are. You're listening to us right now. If you do find us there, if you could please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review, we will be forced to throw you in the slammer for a day, which, to be honest, like sitting around not having to do any work for a day does sound like kind of a vacation, but you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> we also have a patreon available at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers patreon is a platform where you provide a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our web hosting and equipment and uh, all sorts of incidentals of running a podcast and in return there are perks like postcards in the mail a newsletter that comes out monthly and all sorts of other stuff we also have merch available that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where there are all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And if you have any ideas for new merch, uh, let us know. We're always happy to put some new designs up there. And if you have a design that you're interested in making, we might be interested in commissioning it from you. So drop us a line at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. And finally, we do have a Discord group that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com to discuss all sorts of podcast-adjacent things and not podcast-adjacent things with other listeners. If you want to tweet at me personally, for example, to tell me that you agree with my previous idea that we should make shorts that say violence junkie on the butt, uh, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Renata Snacks. I'm on social media at 14 across. And Rachel, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at R-A-J Andelman, A-N-D-E-L-M-A-N. And that's mostly where I am. And you can find all my other links there. Rachel's Twitch channel is the only reason I signed up for a Twitch account. There's a lot of fun fun shows happening there. But yeah, the link's probably probably best from her Twitter or if you go to worstbestsellers.com, we'll have links to everything on this episode post. Yes. All right. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. I, I know that you did suffer for this. You know, I think that every once in a while I do need to read a book that's bad uh, because mostly I read good books and this reminds me how good they are. It's like witnessing a boy stab another boy in that it will like recalibrate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, definitely, I definitely feel part ready for part two of my trials <laughs> yeah well lucky for you you get to go back into the real world and read a good book now but as for us we'll be back in two weeks with the witcher colon the last wish by andre sub, cows, sub uh, shoot i looked this up and i already forgot 
Sakovsky. Andrei Sakovsky. This is going to be a real challenging episode. I can already tell. Uh, but, but that's a future problem. For now, we're done. Goodbye. Bye. Because it's not a menstrual cup, it's a job position.